Well, good morning, everybody. I want to add my hello to those of you joining us online or listening by radio. And hello again to the Farmington Hills campus folks still with us in our building today. Uh, <laughs> but this will be your last Sunday here because I have good news that on Thursday we did uh, acquire the certificate of occupancy for the Farmington Hills building. So next Sunday will be the grand opening of Farmington Hills Ward Church for certain. Yeah, so you can invite your friends and post it on Facebook. It is official. The certificate is on the wall. Uh, last Sunday we started a new series on the book of Acts called Rediscover Church. And one of the promises I made last Sunday was that you and I would become intimately acquainted with the most prominent character in the book of Acts. And who is the most prominent character in the book of Acts? The Holy Spirit is the most prominent character in the book of Acts. Book of Acts is book two of a two-volume set uh, written by Dr. Luke. Uh, Luke's gospel records the life and ministry and teachings of Jesus, concluding with his death and resurrection. And the book of Acts picks up where the gospel of Luke ends. It's like Luke wanted us to know, if you thought uh, the story of Jesus was over in book number one, just wait for the sequel. Because uh, you have not seen anything yet. The ministry of Jesus is just about to take off. Uh, you've heard, read this morning, the first part of the second chapter of the book of Acts. And in my Bible, the title of that section says, The Holy Spirit Comes at Pentecost. Pentecost, that Old Testament holiday, that Jewish holiday, Pentecost, also called Feast of Weeks and the Feast of First Fruits. This is all the same holiday in the old days where the farmers would bring in their grain and offer it in expectation of the harvest that was to come. Here in the second chapter of the book of Acts, the giving of the Holy Spirit is in a very real way a new, a new first fruits. It's the beginning of the harvest of God in this world that will be concluded with the second coming of Jesus. The New Testament Pentecost marks the beginning of the age of the Spirit. Now we said that the New Testament book that we know as the Acts of the Apostles might better have been titled the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things we're going to learn is how the Holy Spirit is released in our lives. And one of the goals I have for this series and for today in particular is that we would know what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And so today, at the beginning of the sermon, I'll tell you what the challenge is going to be at the end. Uh, the challenge today is that you and I would live this next week as an adventure in the Spirit. That we would live moment by moment, day by day, this next week, yielded to the control of God through the Holy Spirit. That's where we're going. So let's back up today and talk about who the Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit does, and talk about some of these phrases about the Holy Spirit that appear in the book of Acts. Who the Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit does, and some of these phrases about the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Today is a kind of a Holy Spirit 101 lesson. It's a Holy Spirit primer, if you will. And for some of you, what you're going to hear today is a review of things you've learned before. And for some of you, today is going to be brand spanking new. And it's going to be revolutionary. And whether this is a review or new information to you, what we're going to talk about today is the kind of stuff that can utterly transform your relationship with God. 
And that's my hope. So we'll start today, who is the Holy Spirit? An overview of the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? And, uh, and my, my base book for this I want to recommend to you is a book by Billy Graham, an uh, older book called The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit subtitle, Activating God's Power in Your Life. Uh, it's just a little book. There are bigger books on the Holy Spirit, but this one is still the most approachable, engaging, little teeny book by Billy Graham on the Holy Spirit. Uh, and in fact, if I say something today that, that you disagree with, or if I inadvertently offend you, or offend the tradition from which you're from, I invite you to contact uh, the family of Billy Graham at the Billy Graham Center in Charlotte, North Carolina, because a lot of what I'm going to say today is from Billy Graham. There's great confusion about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is often the overlooked, forgotten member of the Trinity. Now that's changing. A lot of new books are being written about the Holy Spirit. And another book I'd recommend is, is another book and the title of the book on the Holy Spirit by Francis Chan. The title of the book is very telling. His book on the Holy Spirit is called Forgotten God. Forgotten God. And there's a move in our day to restore the Holy Spirit, not just to our doctrine, but to our lives. And I'd like to be a part of that. And so I want to start back in the Old Testament and trace the development of the understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. And the Holy Spirit really is first mentioned in Genesis chapter 1. One of the first sentences in the Bible, now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And most scholars agree that whenever in the Bible you see Spirit of God or Spirit of Christ or Holy Spirit or the Spirit, these are all different ways to refer to the same thing. And what I want you to notice is that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is present at creation. Uh, that the Holy Spirit was not created, but was present at creation. The Holy Spirit is eternal. It became understood to people over time that the Bible teaches that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all present at creation and are all eternal and are all, in fact, God. The Spirit is not an impersonal force. He's not a vapor. He's not a ghost. He's not the junior member of the Trinity. He's not the secretary treasurer of the operation. The Holy Spirit is eternal. The Holy Spirit's the third member of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God. Every member of the Trinity is God. No member of the Trinity is less God than any other member of the Trinity. And this comes from the Westminster Confession of Faith, a very historic document from the 1600s that still guides our thoughts today. Uh, this is what they summarize. The Holy Spirit, the third person in the Trinity, proceeding from the Father and the Son of the same substance and equal in power and glory, is together with the Father and the Son to be believed in, loved, obeyed, and worshipped throughout all the ages. The Holy Spirit is God. Now part of what this means for many of you is that you already know the Holy Spirit more than you think you do. Because everything you know about God to be true, about God's wisdom and glory and compassion and kindness and truth, all of that you know to be true of God is also true of the Holy Spirit. If you know God the Father, if you know God the Son, Jesus, then you also already know a great deal about the character 
of the Holy Spirit. Billy Graham in that book says this, there is nothing that God is that the Holy Spirit is not. All the essential aspects of deity belong to the Holy Spirit. Now I want to say something about the word in the Bible that's used for spirit. The, the word for spirit in both the Old Testament and New Testament is the word for wind. Wind. The, the Old Testament Hebrew word ruah, the New Testament Greek word pneuma, both used for spirit, both also mean wind. Because there's something about the wind. It is powerful and it's mysterious. You can feel it. You can see its effects, but you can't control it or predict it. And that suggests spirit. In recent days, we've been reminded about the power of wind, haven't we? And uh, cycle back a week when the forecasters were telling us about the hurricane that was still yet to come, right? The forecasters did not say a hurricane is coming and don't worry, everybody, it's just wind. They did not say that. They said evacuate. They said take shelter. A 150 mile per hour hurricane winds will transform the landscape. And uh, remember a week ago, they, they had these uh, predictors, these things that would try to guess where the hurricane was going to touch base. And even all the predictive measures didn't, didn't always align with each other. We weren't sure exactly the precise point the hurricane was going to set. And sometimes they're not right at all. Uh, and there's something about this that makes it a great metaphor for the Holy Spirit. This is what John uh, chapter 3 says. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And here the word for spirit and the word for wind, they are the same word. I saw a television preacher years ago talking about the Holy Spirit. He was from a different tradition than I am. And he was making dramatic gestures when he talked about the pouring out of the Spirit. He, he opened his arms like this, like he was uh, catching something invisible. And then he gestured like this to the crowd in front of him, like he was um, throwing the Holy Spirit out on the crowd. And I want to be careful because I'm, I'm not sure exactly uh, what he was doing or whether it was a, a metaphor of some kind. But what I understand about the Holy Spirit from the Bible is that you do not direct and control the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit directs and controls you. And the Bible warns us about this in Isaiah 40, 13. It says, who has directed the Spirit of the Lord? Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord? This, this is biblical sarcasm. Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord? Nobody. You can't direct the Spirit of the Lord. Now the Spirit is powerful, hurricane powerful, but you and I do not need to fear the Holy Spirit. Old Testament and New Testament words for spirit, in addition to meaning wind and spirit, the same word also means breath. And the giving of breath is the giving of life. Uh, we see this again throughout the Bible, Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Similarly, the book of Job says, The Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. Breath means life. And then we see these, uh, this beautiful poetry in Psalm 104. The psalmist says, To God, when you hide your face, O God, they are terrified. 
when you take away their breath, they die and return to dust. When you send your spirits, they are created and you renew the face of the earth. Uh, lots of prophecies talk about God giving his spirit and there is life. God gives breath and there's life. The, the, the primary sign of the Holy Spirit's activity is always life. Where the Holy Spirit is present, people become animated, empowered, awake, energized, and inspired. And we still reflect that in our language. When we talk about a spirited person, we're talking about someone who's full of life and vitality. We talk about someone who's got team spirit. We're talking about someone who has enthusiasm and liveliness. Our language still reflects that the spirit is life. You and I were not designed to do life apart from the Holy Spirit. We were not designed to experience life apart from the Holy Spirit. I heard about a team that was doing door-to-door -door evangelism uh, and their training uh, taught them to knock on a door and when the person answers the door, they would ask this question, how would you like to receive eternal life? How would you like to receive eternal life? And so uh, they did as they were trained. They knocked on the door and a woman came to the door and she had a crying baby in one arm and a vacuum cleaner in the other arm and behind her you could see ch other children running around in chaos and the house was a mess and they asked her, how would you like to receive eternal life? And she said, frankly, I don't think I could stand it. <laughs> the life the Spirit comes to bring is not just eternal in the sense that it goes on and on and on and on. It is a qualitatively different kind of life. So the Holy Spirit is eternal and powerful and mysterious like the wind. And the Holy Spirit is life-giving like breath. The Holy Spirit is also personal. Uh, the Holy Spirit is a personal being. Uh, the Bible never refers to the Holy Spirit as it but always as he. Uh, there's one place in the old King James where uh, the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit itself. Itself, that was a mistranslation and it was corrected in later editions. The Holy Spirit, again, is not a force or a thing or a substance, but a personal being. Now, some of the Bible metaphors about the Holy Spirit are admittedly impersonal. Wind, breath, fire, water. So it might be helpful to consider some of the more personal metaphors of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus taught about the Holy Spirit in uh, John 14 through 17, uh, he used words that are interpreted as counselor, teacher, advocate. And if you're someone who's prone to think of the Holy Spirit as a thing, as a vapor, as a force, it might be helpful to, to think about some of these more personal metaphors of the Holy Spirit. Jesus talks about the Spirit as a teacher. Now, by a show of hands, how many of you somewhere along life's way had a great teacher who taught you and guided you and called good things out of you? Anybody ever have a teacher like that? Yeah, and the Bible says the Holy Spirit is a teacher. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is a counselor. Uh, 
By a show of hands, how many of you ever had a really great counselor who helped you see things you could not see on your own and helped guided you in relationships? Anybody had a counselor like that? Yeah, thanks. How many of you had a great counselor, but you're kind of, you kind of don't want to raise your hand in a, in a room this big about your counselor? How many of you are sitting next to somebody who looks like they really could use some therapy? Uh, some, yeah, every, every hand. Uh, Imagine a really great teacher or a really great counselor, but they don't stay in the classroom or in the counseling office. They come with you throughout the day. I need a counselor who will come with me throughout the day. So that way when my wife asks me a really difficult question, uh, I turn to my counselor and say, what should I say? The Holy Spirit is an ever-present counselor and teacher. The Holy Spirit is a person, not a human being, but a personal being with intellect, emotions, and will. He loves people. He communicates with people who are open to being communicated with. He teaches, guides, prompts, convicts, and comforts. He can be grieved, resisted, and blasphemed. And one of the things the Holy Spirit does is equip people for certain tasks. We see throughout the Bible the Holy Spirit giving to people certain gifts and abilities. This is not just in the New Testament. We see this in the Old Testament as well. In Exodus 31, God tells Moses that he has gifted a man named uh, Bezalel. Bezalel. God says to Moses, this is Exodus 31, I have filled him, Bezalel, with the Spirit of God with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills. What kinds of skills? To make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, to engage in all kinds of crafts. This guy has gifts I only wish I had. This is a handyman, and his gifts are given to him by the Holy Spirit. And repeatedly, we see the Holy Spirit gives people abilities, never for just their own use or their own bragging, but for the good of the community. Uh, We see that again and again and again. All throughout the Old Testament, we see the Spirit of God fills people, comes upon them, rests on them, is poured out on them, is placed on them, enters them, catches them up. These are all phrases from the Old Testament. One writer said, these phrases are all an attempt to express the inexpressible the powerful operation of God on a human being to give capacities beyond their normal limitations, skills beyond their abilities, wisdom beyond human strength, never for their own glorification, always for community. And then over time, it occurs to the prophets, the prophets reason, what would it be like if God just poured out his spirit And not just on certain individuals and not just temporarily, but what if God poured out his spirit on all of humanity? And more than wonder about it, the prophet said one day this would be so. One day this day would come. These beautiful words from the prophet Joel. God says through his prophet, afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. This day is coming. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. No more holding back the spirit, God says. I will pour out my spirit in a new way on men and women, on old and young, on servants and masters. The spirit of God will just flood the earth. 
And that is what happened in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. The unprecedented pouring out of the Spirit of God in a new way. The Holy Spirit was not created on that day, but it was poured out in a new way. And this is what Jesus is referring to when he says you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I want to say just a few more words about that phrase, baptized in the Spirit, baptism of the Holy Spirit. That phrase is used seven times in the New Testament, never in the Old Testament. And it's used to contrast the baptism of Jesus with the baptism of John. John the Baptist baptized with water, but it says in Matthew and Luke, Jesus will baptize in the Spirit and in fire. John baptized with water, Jesus will baptize in the spirit and fire. The baptism of Jesus, like the gospel itself, is more than just forgiveness of sins. It is the entry into a new way of life. It is a life empowered by the spirit. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus says you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 2, it happened. In Acts chapter 2, they hear a sound like a violent wind. Verse 1. And they see what seemed to be tongues of fire. Verse 2, they were baptized in the spirit and in fire. And Peter stands up and says what the prophet Joel predicted long ago happened on this day. We've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Everybody still with me? Now, sometimes... People use this phrase, baptism of the Spirit, in a different way. And I just want to talk a moment about that. Some people use that phrase, baptism of the Holy Spirit, to mean kind of a dramatic second encounter. And the idea behind this school of thought is that first you receive Jesus, you become a Christian, and then you wait, and sometime later you receive the Holy Spirit. It's kind of a second filling, a second experience. And I just want to point out that the New Testament never speaks of baptism in the Spirit in this way. The reason the disciples had to wait for the Holy Spirit is because the Holy Spirit had not yet been made available to them. The term baptism of the Spirit is the phrase used in the New Testament to refer to the pouring out of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And the Apostle Paul would look back on this when he wrote to the church at Corinth. We were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one Spirit to drink. If you have received Jesus, you have also received the Spirit. If you were baptized in the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, uh, you have full access to the Holy Spirit right now. The time for waiting is over. There is nothing that stands in the way of you being fully empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you may have observed that not everyone who has received Christ seems to be full of life. Anybody knows that? Some of you may have noticed that not all Christians seem to be fully yielded and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Anybody notice that? Just me? Why doesn't, why doesn't, why don't, why doesn't every Christian full of life? 
Why isn't every Christian fully yielded to the Spirit of God? And let's talk about another phrase in the Holy Spirit, another phrase in the book of Acts about the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit. Let's talk about that phrase. Baptism in the Spirit, another phrase you'll see is filled with the Spirit. Acts chapter 6, uh, the disciples are giving instructions for the selection of leaders who will serve the poor on behalf of the apostles. Acts chapter 6. We're going to look at this later in the series, but let's glance at it now. Brothers and sisters, the church leaders say, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, the, the serving of the tables, and we, the apostles, will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. How do you know this is of the Holy Spirit? This proposal pleased the whole group. That's got to be the Spirit of the living God. And then it goes on. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, and other guys whose names are hard to pronounce. That's keep. <laughs> yeah. And then Peter stands up in Acts chapter 4. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, and Peter gives this powerful speech. And the same line is used of Stephen, filled with the Holy Spirit. He gives this powerful speech. Now, you have heard speakers before who were full of it. <laughs> These speakers are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, that, that, that phrase, full of the Spirit, could lead people to believe that the Spirit is something that you can possess and measure and compare. We've got spirit. Yes, we do. We've got spirit. How about you? Uh, how much spirit do you have? Do you have more spirit or less spirit than I do? Uh, some people look at me and say he's half full, and some people say he's half empty. Uh, no, the, the Bible's clear that you don't possess the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit possesses you. You don't control the Spirit. The Holy Spirit controls you. So this language is an attempt to express what's beyond words. To be full of the Spirit is a picture or metaphor of a life in which the Spirit of the living God holds unhindered sway. Again, Billy Graham in that book puts it this way, to be Spirit-filled is to be controlled or dominated by the Spirit's presence and power. To be filled with the Spirit means to be controlled by the Spirit. When you think about it, being filled with the Spirit is, is really uh, more of an emptying of self. We say filled with the Spirit, but it's emptying of self. The more I yield my life, my relationship to the control of God, the more it's less of me, the more I describe my life as being filled with the Spirit. And it's a daily kind of thing. Uh, Paul writes again to the church at Ephesus this time, Do not get drunk on wine. When, why so often when we talk about the Holy Spirit does somebody think somebody's drunk? <laughs> because a person is so different when they're drunk than when they're sober. And when a person is filled with the Spirit, they're so different than they were when they weren't spilled, filled with the Spirit. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And this could be translated, be always being filled. Be continually being filled. It's a daily decision. I've heard people say there's one baptism of the Spirit, but daily fillings, mainly many fillings of the Spirit. Now, so this week, I want to invite us, I want to challenge us to make this week an adventure in the Spirit. 
to see how yielded a human being can be moment by moment, day by day, to look for the guidance of God, to surrender our decisions, our life, to God's control, to resolve and re-resolve every moment that I will yield myself to God's control, even when every fiber in my being doesn't want to do that. Now, we're wrapping up here, and some of you are thinking, well, you, you didn't answer all of my questions about the Holy Spirit. Well, we're not finished. In this series, we're going to come back to the Holy Spirit a few more times. And I promise you, by the end of this series, all of your questions about the Holy Spirit will still not be answered. Uh, look at this uh, quote from Richard Foster. Richard Foster writes, In our day, Heaven and earth are on tiptoe, waiting for the emerging of a spirit-led, spirit-intoxicated, spirit-empowered people. All of creation watches expectantly for the springing up of a disciplined, freely gathered people who know in this life the life and power of the kingdom of God. It has happened before and can happen again. In our day, all of creation watches expectantly for the emerging of people of the Spirit. And what, what if that's us? What if that's you and me? That is the adventure that we are on together. Let's pray. Well, God, we thank you for the presence and the power of the Spirit. We confess our tendency to treat the Holy Spirit as an exercise of doctrine rather than an exercise of surrender. Give to us the courage and the discipline to open ourselves more fully to your control this week. Help us to be a spirit-led, spirit-intoxicated, spirit-empowered people for whom all of creation is waiting. And may we and the world be forever changed. As we turn now to celebrate the sacrament of communion, we remember the sacrifice of Jesus which made life with God possible. The human race was distant from God, separated by sin, and without hope. Praise God, Jesus paid our debts and opened the possibility of a redeemed kingdom life with God, and we are forever grateful. This we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the church said together, Amen. Let's, let's stand together.